Chapter 7, Part 1, from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor I.J. Her. First Sunday of the month is fellowship service, so um, I just want to encourage kids, throughout this sermon, if you get the Bible fun facts, for each Bible fun fact, you get a haichu. This is manna from Costco, okay? <laughs> so, so pay attention. If you don't give your parents a hard time and I confirm that, you could get more haichu, Okay? So this is, this is a good day. It's a good day. Um, yeah, some of you know, um, I, I recently got married April 16th, right? What a joy, yes. What a joy, huge joy. Um, and, you know, one, there is one thing every older guy always told me. He was like, Ajay, if we give you just one advice, it's happy wife, happy life, right? Like that is the one advice we can give you. But the way they said it, they always laughed after. So I took it as a joke. I thought it was a joke, right? I was like, oh, okay, this is not required. And man, yo, 10 days into our marriage, I was like, yo, this is for real. <laughs> like, this is like a thing, like happy wife, happy life. And, you know, just like any other relationship, there's always a requirement and there's a responsibility. Just like in marriage, the requirement and responsibility is happy wife, happy life. There's always a requirement and responsibility for friendships. There's a requirement and responsibility for you to be a child and as a parent. And just like any other relationship, there's a requirement and a responsibility. And there's also actually a requirement and responsibility with our relationship with God. So I, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying you have to earn your salvation. Like, I don't know why people always go, oh, are you saying I'm not saved? No, 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 no. Jesus loves you. You're saved. Nothing about that. But requirement and responsibility, that's what we need when we ha to have intimacy with God. And if you don't have intimacy with God... It's not that you're not saved. It's not that you're going to hell, but your life's going to feel like it. Your life's going to feel like hell. Intimacy with God is the very thing that will change your trajectory of how life is on this side of eternity. So that's what I want to uh, break down for us is how do we make that shift? How do we not only be Christians, but enter into intimacy with God? How do we shift from calling Jesus the Messiah, which we love, right? He is Lord. He's Savior. We sing these praises. But beyond that, God is inviting us to see him as my Messiah. He's inviting us into intimacy. So before I start, I, I just want to pray. I just want to pray. Um, Father God, Lord, as I preach this sermon, um, as your word is spoken, Lord, may, may your love just be poured out, poured out upon our people, God. Father, we, our church, we're so busy doing so many things. Father, there's so many community groups or the want of community groups, but there's a lack of intimacy with you. So, Father, can you teach us your ways? Can you teach us how do we get deep with you? How do we enter into this intimacy with you? Because only that, only intimacy with you can we truly live this life of rest, of love, of joy. And I pray in Son's name, amen. Amen. All right, so before I start, so I, I have, as Karis read for us, um, what's going on is that there's a feast of tabernacles. There's a feast of booths, feast of ingathering, or the Hebrew word, it's Sukkot. 
Um, and I got to give you some kind of background information or else this whole passage is just like going over your head or it's going to be like a, oh, wow, like, like, like a Bible therapy time. You know, it's like, oh, like this made me real feel really good. So um, I have to really break this down. So just be patient with me, please. Um, but yeah, so the first Bible fun fact I have for us kids, this is your first chance to get that haichu, all right? The first Bible fun fact is that the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot is the festival. It is the feast recalling God's provision for his people during the exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery, during the wilderness wanderings. So I want to I show a picture of what Sukkot is, all right? So that is a, a sukkah. It's a protection. It's a booth. But as, if you're looking at it carefully, you're like, that is not protection. It's super flimsy. I mean, if, if someone was practicing that in the Midwest, like with all those tornadoes or in Florida with the hurricanes, like that would just go flying by. There's no protection. But the reason, the reason Israel did this and still does till today is that the importance of this and doing it for seven days is that number one, it's frail and it's supposed to be frail because our trust is not in that, but it's in God. Secondly, it's temporary. No, nobody lives there forever, but it's temporary to show the world and yourself, we are not here for long. This is not our home. This is not our, our eternity. Like our eternity does not end with this. There's so much more. So that is the whole point of doing that. Another thing about Sukkot, Bible fun fact number two, this is your second chance, kids, is number seven, all right, in the Bible, it's a holy number because it represents fullness, wholeness, completion, or it could represent evil to depict the severity of one's sin, all right? Number seven is a big deal. Just keep that in mind. So the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, it, there's another name for it actually, and it's Feast of Ingathering. There's a Feast of Ingathering. And the reason is, is because it, um, Israel practiced this and they still do, is, and, and having the tent is because they're, it's, it's signifying, okay, one day, one day God is gonna, the, the Messiah, the Mashiach is going to come He's going to dwell. He's going to come here. He's going to be with us. And the feast of it, it's also called the feast of ingathering because he's going to gather all people, right? Um, this is not part of the Bible fun fact, but it, you know, you could get some haichu points. But so a lot, a lot of times people wonder, why do Jewish people not believe in the Messiah when, he, when we as Christians believe he's here? One of the reasons Jewish people don't believe in the Messiah, one of the reasons is because of, of this, the Feast of Ingathering. They believe if the Messiah comes, it's supposed to gather all the exiles, right? First, gather all the Jewish people, all the tribes that were exiled. Um, if you didn't know, in the Bible, in Isaiah 39, the Assyrian king, that's when he split up all the tribes and then he, he split them up. And the reason a lot of Jewish people could not believe Jesus as Messiah is because during Jesus' time, which is Roman oppression, it got worse, so from their point of view, it makes sense. It's like, why is he the Messiah? Things are worse. But what Jesus does, he's the fulfillment of Sukkot. And what he does is he chooses the exiles of society. He doesn't just choose the exiles of the Jewish tribes. He chooses the exiles of, Jewish, of society. He looks at the lame, the blind, the prostitute, the Gentiles. He looks at all of that and he's like, I'm gathering you because I'm the fulfillment of Sukkot. That is, is a beautiful picture. And the reason I give you this whole picture, this background picture, I know a lot of times people in Metro, you guys, you guys kind of zone out when it comes to Bible. But um, the reason I have to give this is because this feast, this festival, it's about intimacy. It's about God dwelling with us and us dwelling with God. 
And some of you might ask, what is intimacy? Intimacy is, as one psychoanalysis, it's into me you see and into you I see. It's seeing the fullness of the other person. You see their mess. You see all of them. You see everything that might be a little confusing at times. You know, my wife sees me taking all the blanket and suddenly, you know, smacking her with the pillow because I sleep so weird. She sees all of that, right, and chooses to love me. That is intimacy. You see all of that. That is intimacy. So what I want to invite us and what I believe God is inviting us is beyond our Bible studies, beyond our Sunday services, beyond our community groups, beyond having Christian friends, God is inviting us to say, my Lord, my God. That is the kind of intimacy God is looking for. So with that background information, now I could finally go in. Um, what is the requirement and what is the responsibility for an intimacy with God? So I'll start with the requirement. The requirement for an intimacy with God is obedience. Church, say obedience. obedience. All right, so I'm going to read from uh, John 7, 2 to 5, verse 2 to 5. So this is what it says. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure in secrets... Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. You know, church, reading this, what this shows us is just because you're in the proximity of the house of God, just because you're around a lot of pastors, just because you have intense Christian friends, just because you're around the Bible, that does not mean you have intimacy with God. Jesus' own brothers did not have intimacy with him. What makes you think you're so safe? During such a feast, Jesus' brothers, they tempt and they ridicule him, right? And their disobedience and defiance, it actually echoes the trials that Jesus went through in the Old New Testament, but it also echoes the, the defiance that Israel was giving to God in the Old Testament, all right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. So Bible fun fact number three for kids is that there are, you guys want to guess what number? Seven, seven. There's seven rebellions in the wilderness from Numbers 11 to 21. You guys have to understand, man, Israel, it was crazy. And like, I mean, it's not judging them because we do the same with God. But God literally delivered them out of slavery. And the first thing that comes to mind for them is, man, I wish I was a slave because I got to at least eat meat. That's crazy. You work 24-7. You get no break. You get no retirement account. Nothing. But do you want to go back to that life because at least you got to eat meat? This is what Jesus' brothers are doing. It's like, yo, you're the Messiah. You should do something. You should do something. Bible fun fact number four, they also echo what the devil does in, in the Gospel of John. So Bible fun fact number four is that while the devil, he doesn't speak in the Gospel of John. The devil speaks in Matthew, Mark, Luke, but not John. Jesus' brothers are opposing Christ as the devil does. This is what Jesus says, John 7, 6, 8. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the temple. I'm not going up to this temple because my time has not yet fully come. Jesus eventually does some kind of teaching. He does eventually go up, but he doesn't go on his brother's time. He goes on the father. You know, in verses 14 and 16, um, you know, I'm just going to paraphrase. Like, some people are like, whoa, this guy is so learned. He's super educated. Or I should say he's so learned, he's so wise, but how could that be because he's not educated? 
But it wasn't on anyone's time or teaching that Jesus had intimacy with God. He had intimacy with God because of his obedience. Jesus even answers them. He says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus was able to experience intimacy with God the Father and reveal himself to be the intimate one because of obedience. It starts with obedience. Your obedience and disobedience could be the thing that could be the very thing that defines whether you have impact on this world or not. You know, I want to make this clear. Disobedience, it's not the end of our story. Jesus fulfilled the, the perfect obedience for us. And even as we see later, even though Jesus' brothers, they defied him, one of them, J James, he actually ends up being one of the authors of the Bible, the book of James, and he also, he also ends up being a martyr. He dies for the faith. Disobedience, it, listen, disobedience, obedience, it doesn't change your salvation. You got to get that out of your head. You're not going to go to hell if you disobey God, but you will have limit of intimacy with God. You will have limit of impact with God, and your life's going to feel like hell without intimacy with God. So my question to you, church, is whose timing are we living on? Are we living on our timing? Are we living on other people's timing? Are we living on our parents' timing? Are we living on the pressures of the world? Whose timing are we actually living on? I think one of the best ways, one of the best ways we can be obedient to God and carve out our time and be like, God, I am following you is Sabbath. It's Sabbath. You see, um, Many of you might know or not know, but uh, Pastor Timothy Keller in New York City passed away recently. And some of you are like, I don't know who that is. Listen, if you are in the greater New York City area, you have a job in New York City, you've ever been to the city, you have much to thank him. It's because of his impact and his intimacy with God, he was able to have such influence upon this area. But, this is, but Timoth, Pastor Timothy Keller, he has like met with so many billionaires, millionaires, CEOs. He meets with important people. And in New York City, a very progressive city, he challenges people to have intimacy with God. He challenges people to have Sabbath, observe the Sabbath. Sabbath, it's not just you playing around. It's not you sleeping and doing nothing. Sabbath is actually God inviting us into his joy, into his rest. It's a time of enjoying God by enjoying life. It's carving out your time, which is the most important asset of your life, and saying, I'm giving this to you. I could make more money, but I'm giving this to you, God. I could study for that finals, but I'm giving this to you, God. I could raise my child. I'm giving this to you. I'm not God, my God has got this. That's what Sabbath is. And if some of you are still like, well, you know, once you have kids and stuff, once you get older, you just can't Sabbath. I want to remind you, Israel, in their wilderness, in their wandering, in their confusion, in their exile, in their waiting for the Messiah, they still Sabbath. And you know, um, actually, uh, some Christians argue with me like, oh, Sabbath, that's like an Old Testament thing. We don't do that in the New Testament. And there's some good arguments. Actually, in the Pauline letters, you're going to see, he doesn't mention Sabbath a lot. You could read the New Testament. There's not too much mention of Sabbath in the Pauline letters. But this is what N.T. Wright says in, advance, um, in response is, you're right. There isn't much Sabbath in the New Testament, but because Christ is the fulfillment of Sabbath. What that means is that one day a week, that's not enough. Because of Jesus Christ, we have a perpetual Sabbath. 
And I'm going to talk about what are some practical, how exactly do we go about Sabbath in the modern day? So this is, there's four, four things that you got to keep in mind when you Sabbath. Number one, number one, contemplative rest. Contemplative rest. What contemplative rest, by the way, kids, if you write these down, I'm going to give you extra haichu. All right, so pay attention. So contemplative rest, what that means is your thoughts of God, it starts with your thoughts of God. If you think God is a God who slaves you to work, if you think God is a God who loves you doing Bible study all the time and that you always have to be doing the Christian act, you're going to live a life of shame. But if your thoughts of God is, he is a good father. He is a good father who gives good things. You're going to live a life of goodness, mercy, and love. It starts with your thoughts of God. If that means for you to listen to Christian music, start it. I, I'm going to confess, I'm, I don't listen to Christian music. I really don't. I don't think it's good sometimes. <laughs> like, I, 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 it's hard for me to listen to Christian music. Like, I listen to Korean ballads or classical music. That's the, those are the only, but it, it affects my thoughts of God. Because if I only listen to Korean ballads, I'm like, wow, God is a heartbreaker. You know, but I have to listen to Christian music to be like, oh my gosh. No, God is a God who gives good things to bad people because he's a good God. It starts with your thoughts of God. What is your thought of God? Number two, recreational rest. America is one of the most unhealthiest nations in the world. You know, my wife and I, when we went to Italy, I, listen, I jog like six, seven miles. I cannot walk six, seven miles. My knees were like, they were like pumping. All right, like it was hard for me to like walk upstairs because it was like so tight. But what I realized is like, wait, the rest of the world does this. They just walk every day. America, Christians in America, we have a hard time finding rest, joy in God because we don't even have joy in ourselves. We don't even have joy in the weather. Recreational rest, do something unique. You want to try something new, do it. Rock climbing, go hit up Angela and Chris. I'll point you to who they are. You want to do something active, come work out with me. We will have recreational rest, okay? Listen, on my Sabbath, I work out for like two hours because that's rest for me. It might not be rest for you, but that's, we got to do something active, physically active. God created this body. Enjoy it. Third way we can Sabbath is aesthetic rest. It, do something beautiful and creative. God created the world. You know, one of the things I love to do is hiking. I love hiking. And when I'm at the peak, I just rest and chill. You know, a lot of people think I'm like extrovert. I'm not. I'm actually introverted. And I take, you know, a couple of my bros and we just sit. We look at it for 30 minutes and we just absorb the beauty of God. Do something creative. Number four is accountable rest. When you Sabbath, you need accountable rest. I actually didn't Sabbath until I came to Metro. And actually, it wasn't until I, I, I was living with Pastor Peter for nine months. He was my accountability partner for Sabbath. You know, he went so far. I, I don't know if he was joking or not, but I, I believed him. But he went so far as to say, IJ, if you don't keep the Sabbath, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> so you need that kind of accountability. You need someone to say intimacy with God. It is so important. You need this. If that means for you to ask someone, hey, can you just check up on me? Can you pray for me? Can you make sure I do this? Go to that extent. If you need someone to be a little bit of a, you know, peer pressure, hit me up. I'm, I'm very good at keeping people accountable, okay? But that is, that is how important Sabbath is. 
Bible fun fact number five. Bible fun fact number five to drill this point of Sabbath is. According to Jewish interpretation of Genesis 2-2, there was an act of creation on the seventh day. God stopped working, but he didn't stop creating. God created rest. God created rest. Think about it. The world was in chaos, but he created rest. There's a Hebrew word for this. It's menuah. Menuah is tranquility and peace. It's saying my world is going crazy. My kids are driving me crazy. My work is insane, but still I praise your name. That is menuah. That is rest. You see, when the Israelites, what they did during Sukkot, during this uh, festival, it's something we can learn from them. It's something we can learn because it shows that, yeah, life is crazy, but we need to trust in God. That even when the world says Sabbath is stupid, work more, study more, make more money, do this, do that, we're saying, no, I'm going to do something far better. I'm going to enjoy God. That is what Sabbath is. And if you still think it's impossible, just look at the Jewish community today. Sabbath, it is, a, it is so important, y'all. Obedience, it's a requirement for intimacy with God. And for some of you kids out there, or even adults, Sabbath is more important than honor your mother and father. Sabbath comes before do not murder. That is how important Sabbath is. Obedience, it's a requirement for intimacy with God. The second point, the second point I got for us is responsibility. Responsibility of intimacy with God, we have a responsibility. So requirement for intimacy with God, it's obedience. But our responsibility to God is to be an outpouring of God. Church say outpouring. So we're going to see in uh, John 7, 16 to 24, um, but I'm going to kind of give a background information is later in chapter 7, some are super amazed. They're like, wow, this guy's super learned, really, really learned. But what they fail to see Jesus is, that's my God. That is my God. And we know this to be true because verses 21 to 24, Jesus actually rebukes them for idolizing the Sabbath. This is what he says. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me? For healing a man on the Sabbath. Stop judging by mere appearance, but instead judge correctly. It's not the Sabbath that Jesus was rebuking, but it's the logistics of it. It's your idolization of the rules and rituals. If Jesus was here today, he'd probably rebuke us for how we do church. We are so obsessed with the fact that how we do church, we forget who we do it for. Man, if a baby was crying here today, we'd probably get an email. Hey, could we not have kids in service? We are so obsessed with how things are done. We forget who we worship. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. Sabbath, obedience, intimacy with God. It's not to feed your own spiritual arrogance. It's not to feed your spiritual obesity. It's not for you to say, I know so much about the Bible. But it's for you to have a responsibility. It's for you to be an outpouring of God's spirit. That's the point of intimacy. It's not for you to hoard it. 
It's for you to be an outpouring of God's spirit. Bible fun fact number six. We're getting close. During Sukkot, every day the priest will pour out water from the pool and into the temple. And the point of this is to signify God's outpouring of his spirit. But on the seventh day, they just chuck a whole bunch of water and everyone is crying, Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save us. Remember, number seven is the pinnacle. Guess what Jesus says towards the end in John 7, 37 to 39. I'm just going to read it for us. It might not be up there. It's okay. I'm just gonna read. This is what Jesus says. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the fulfillment of Sukkoth. He's saying, you do this. You've been doing this for years, but that's me, man. But they didn't believe because Christ was not yet glorified. But for us, as the 21st century Christians, we know Jesus died and rose again. And we know he gave his spirit. Some of you might be like, I don't even know how to be an outpouring of God's spirit because I'm not learned. I don't know the Bible. My life is a mess. I have so much baggage and junk. But I'm telling you, you already have God's spirit. He gave it through the great commission. He didn't give it through the great recommendation. He didn't give it through the great suggestion. He said, it's the great commission. What are you waiting for? You already have the blessings from God. What exactly are you waiting for? You have to go and be an outpouring of God's spirit. The responsibility of intimacy with God. If you believe Jesus, you have got to be an outpouring of his love. I'm going to go into what that looks like, but I just want to share with you the importance why this is, why, I know some of you are like, man, why is I just so angry? I'm not angry, I'm passionate. But I had to rewrite this sermon like five times. Pastor Peter rebuked me five times like, yo, man, you got to stop being so condescending, man. But the reason I do this, I really hope you see it as, as not an anger towards our church, but an anger for our children. You know, as a youth pastor, I have the privilege and honor to go and speak with other youth retreats. I, I have the privilege and honor to love our children. I think what broke my heart is when I ask, it's not just Metro, it, I've, it's been at other churches too. I would ask all the time, who is a woman of God? Who's a man of God in your life? Few said their moms. Nobody said their dad. That is a deficit, the lack of godliness in our adults. I asked, I asked our youth group kids, hey, let's, let's pray. And they gossip. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, I'm asking you guys to pray. Why are you ta smack talking somebody? It's like, no, 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 Pastor Ida, it's their fault. They definitely messed up. But also in their response, they say, well, this is what Christian adults do, don't they? Isn't this what Christian culture is? Don't you get together and be transparent about talking trash? I share this with us because our children are watching. Whatever, one, whatever sin one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. That's from John Tyson from Church of the City. Whatever sin one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. You see, church, I know I fall short a lot. I do. I'm not perfect. I'm not successful in any means. But I want to be a good man for our children. 
I want to be a man of integrity and righteousness where not just my youth group kids, but my future children and my future grandchildren and their friends can say, Uncle IJ is a man of God. Grandpa IJ is a man of God. I want us to be the church where our future kids can be like, yeah, Uncle Chris, he's a man of God. Uncle Daniel is a man of God. Aunt Christina, she is a woman of God. Church, what kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? And an application, a way we can do this, it's a ministry of presence. Ministry of presence. You know, all it takes is to see someone and say, hey, I see you. Intimacy is saying, into me you see. Into you I see. And that's all it takes you know, one of the pra- uh, uh, tangible ways we can do that is you can serve in our children's ministry. There is such a lack of adults serving in our kids. It is honestly painful for me. I weep for our kids. Metro kids, they need three ad- people for the summer, but not even the summer. On a regular Sunday during first service, do you know who the majority of the teachers are for Metro kids? It's not adults. It's our youth group kids. It's our ninth graders. It's our eighth graders. It's not adults. Metro preschool, teacher Hannah and teacher Janet, they need five people. It is booming. It is bursting. God is doing something with our children. But how many of us are willing to partake in the harvest? Metro nursery, there's actually nobody running that other than Anna, teacher Anna, but there's no adults volunteering. It's three sixth graders. Three sixth graders caring for your children. Metro Edge, our executive pastor is running that. Our executive pastor, he's supposed to be running this church, but he's the one in charge of kids. We have nobody running that other than him and maybe two teachers. Metro Youth Group, we have zero teachers for the current sixth graders, We have zero teachers for 27 sixth graders coming up next year. Our ninth grade girls, they're probably the most evangelistic Christians in this community. They're the ones that bring their friends, non-Christians to church. Zero teachers right now. This is the lack. This is the need for ministry of presence. This is where you can be the outpouring of God's spirit. I want, I want to share this uh, last story with us. It's, it's a picture of Leo. So that, that is Leo. Very cute. You can do the oohs and ahs, but um, very cute baby. So um, the, uh, like, was it last weekend? No, no, last week, Memorial Day, my, my wife's two best friends came over. And Leo is, is the son of Annie and Eddie. Leo only knows two words. <laughs> It's mama and bubble. That's it, mama and bubble. So like, Leo would come in and he'd like point, he's like, bubble? I'm like, stove. <laughs> and he's like, point, there's like, bubble? I'm like, floor. He's like, bubble? I'm like, microwave. And like, I'm losing my patience, right? It's only been 30 seconds. And I'm like, like waiting for him to say the next thing. He's like, bubble. I'm like, air. Air bubble. You know, that's like all he's doing. And I was like, it's two minutes. 
and you know, to justify me walking out, I was like, hey, babe, you know, you enjoy your time with your girls. I want to give you space. And I just booked it to like the study room. I just booked it to the room. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, okay, I got so much to study for this sermon. I got so much to prep for Ephesians Bible study. Shout out to our Bible study. I'll, I'll shameless plug later. But um, like I got so much to do. And for 40 minutes, I'm like trying to study the word of God, getting into all this theology, taking CS50. Like I'm like doing all this studying, but I cannot absorb a single thing. And I was really like contemplating, like maybe I have ADHD or something. Like why can I not take this in? I'm like losing concentration. But that's when God was like, IJ, I oppose the proud and I give grace to the humble. I will not let you absorb my word until you go out there. You look at Leo. You give him your undivided attention. You see him. You do an intimacy. You see him for who he is. And you affirm that bubble. <laughs> and that's when I was like, oh, God. So I like went out and like for the remaining 40 minutes, we were just watching, I don't know if you guys know the animated movie Sing. They we're just watching this like animal sing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then now it's like stuck in my head and that's all I've been singing for like two weeks. But that is ministry of presence. Because you got to understand what Leo was doing when he said bubble, 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 is he's actually saying, look at me, look at me. Look at the world I'm exploring. Isn't this amazing? Oh my gosh, I want to share this with people. But the cry of his heart is saying, can someone just notice me? And this is what John Tyson says. Although our kids will one day stop saying, look at me, look at me with their lips, they will never stop saying, look at me with their hearts. Our children, the next generation, they are watching and wanting Parents in this church are struggling and suffering. And guess what, adults? That look at me, that child, that's you. Some of you are crying from your hearts. Can someone just look at me? I'm so proud of actually Metro that we are a family church. And I'm so proud we have these services because we have a whole range of people from all walks of life. And we are one another spiritual moms, spiritual fathers. We are one another spiritual aunts, spiritual um, aunts and uncles. We are one another spiritual sons and daughters. And I actually really want to encourage those who are in our 20s and 30s, especially our singles and our um, recently married. It's not because we have a lot of time in the world, but it's because one day we're going to be parents. One day we're going to have parent we are going to have kids we will be parents that are going to struggle a lot. Talk to any parent with kids in their teens. You're going to hit a point in your life where it's going to be hard to pastor to love your kid and you're going to be screaming at the top of your lungs, "Where are you, God?" But I really want to encourage you that one day God might just say to you, "Where were you when metro parents were suffering?" Where were you when Leo was saying bubble? Where were you when some of these kids were saying, look at me, look at me? I'm not, once again, I'm not saying our 20s and 30s crew, it's because we have all the time. I'm not shaming you, but you're going to be parents one day. Wouldn't you want to be a spiritual uncle and a spiritual aunt, spiritual mother and father to some of these kids? And all it takes is for you to look at some of these kids, be like, hey, what's your name? Hey, who's your mom and dad? For you to connect with mom and dads. Hey, what can I pray for you this week? That's all it takes. Ministry of presence. What kind of church do we want to be?
The last Bible fun fact, Bible fun fact number seven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. This is a big word for some of our kids, but during the transfiguration in Matthew 17, if you can write transfiguration, kudos to you. But during the transfiguration in Matthew 17, not in John, but Matthew 17, Peter was actually faithful to set up the tents, right? Because as a Jew, he does Sukkoth. He's going to make these tents, and these tents are saying, hey, when he saw Moses, Elijah, and, and Jesus, he's like, oh my gosh, i got to set up these tents. He didn't know what he was saying, but he was setting it up out of faithfulness. Peter saw Jesus as the Messiah. You're the liberator. But you know what God responds in Matthew 17? He doesn't say, yep, let's liberate Jews. Let's get out of here. Screw Roman repression. What he says is, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So many of us, we just see God as someone who answers our prayers. God as, as, as God of, of church service, God of, of Bible study. God, those aren't wrong things, but can you see God as my beloved, my Messiah? Church, God is inviting us to see Jesus not only as Lord, but as, his, as, as, as our beloved. He's inviting us into intimacy. If you want to experience Jesus, the and my personal Jesus, there is a requirement and responsibility for this. The requirement, it's obedience. It's costly. I know Sabbath, it's going to take a lot out of you. And some parents might be like, sorry, when you have kids, you just can't do it. Well, sorry, Israel did it when they were in the wilderness. Israel did it under Roman oppression. Israel did it in the exile. Jews still till, till today, they still do it. You can Sabbath. And our responsibility in, as a result of this intimacy with God is you need to have an outpouring of God's spirit. It's not a question. It's not a recommendation. It's a command. And that is what I want to invite us into, Church. Your salvation is secure. Jesus has perfected the obedience. Jesus has perfected the responsibility. But now he's inviting you to it. He's like, I want you to be part of this intimacy. I've already done the hard work. I want you to be part of this intimacy. Won't you enter into intimacy with God? Let's pray. God of grace, mercy, and love. Father, there is a deficit, a lack, a chasm of intimacy in our church. Many people feel invisible in this church. And with good intentions, we think our lack of intimacy it's going to be fulfilled by doing all these community groups, by creating friends at church. That's not wrong and that's not bad. But that lack, that chasm of intimacy can only come with you. Father, there are so many of us that call Metro home, but they do not see our younger siblings as part of the home. Father, can you just stir something in our church? Yes, Metro is home. But that also means you got some responsibility. 
that you don't just come in this church, you take service, you make friends, and you bounce. That what that means is if you call this home, that you befriend, that you spiritually adopt some of these children in this home. That we look at baby Leo, we look at Calvin and Lincoln, we look at Benny, we look at Karis, we look at all of our kids, our children, and we say, that's mine. That is my brother, that's my sister. And I'm gonna pour into you because Christ poured into me. I'm gonna teach you what intimacy is. As men of this church, we're gonna gather and show our boys, our sons, that real men seek intimacy with God. As women of this church, we're gonna show our daughters the real women, the real women lead in the love of God. That we're gonna show our children in this church, in this home, intimacy with God. That we will not be the church or the generation that tolerates gossip, that tolerates trash talking, that tolerates hate, that tolerates bigotry, but we will be a church that embraces God's love. We will be a church that embraces intimacy. We will be a church that embraces the outpouring of God's spirit and do it. That's the kind of church we will be. Thank you, God. And I pray in son's name, amen.